Hi, I'm Leah Lane, an award-winning travel writer and author of Places I Remember, Tales, Truths, Delights from 100 Countries. On this podcast, we share conversations with travelers about fascinating destinations and memorable experiences around the world. We've talked travel before with my friend Patricia Schultz on episode 25. Patricia wrote the best-selling travel book of all time, A Thousand Places to See Before You Die. And she's just written another smaller, altogether delightful book, Why We Travel, 100 Reasons to See the World. The book has stunning photos and listings of interesting accommodations, travel challenges, natural wonders, and more. It's filled with travel quotes, tips, and lots of personal stories. And we'll cover some of these in this episode. Welcome back, Patricia, to Places I Remember. Oh, thank you very, very much for the invite. Well, your book is titled Why We Travel. So why do you think people travel? Well, as you mentioned, the, the kind of subtitle that appears on the cover, 100 Reasons, there are truly 100 times when, you know, it's such a personal notion of this idea we get up and out of our homes, our comfort zones, everything that's familiar and reliable, and venture out into unknown territory. Why do we do that? And I think, you know, it's the answer for many is very simple. During the pandemic, we suddenly had all kinds of time to, you know, step back and reflect and wonder about things that suddenly we could not do. And we understood the value and how important they were to us. And I was very, very stationary for the first time since I could recall. And I realized that travel feeds my soul, Uh, you know, travel really makes me my best me. I'm my happiest. I'm my most enthused. I'm my most excited and energized. And it it makes me happy. How it feeds our soul is then something I, you know, go into further and why we kind of owe it to ourselves. It's almost an investment in ourselves because, you know, more stuff, more material, you know, we, we had all of that during the pandemic. We, we were in lockdown with all of these material things we had been collecting over our lifetimes, and yet we wanted something more. And that was the freedom and the liberty to go out and see and see everything that is beyond our little bubbles. And our bubbles aren't necessarily unpleasant ones, not necessarily confining But they are something that, to me, lacked this specialness that travel guaranteed me, not just promised me, but actually came and delivered the goods time and and again and again. So I think, simply put, it feeds my soul. That's very well put. I notice people are giving gifts of travel now more and more. You know, it used to be you get something for a birthday a thing. But now experiential gifts are so popular because people do want to get out there and feel what you're saying. So I think travel offers so much. I know for me, it challenges me. It opens my heart and my mind. I feel less myself without being able to go out there and find myself. So it was a wonderful topic. Why we travel could be debated, but it's certainly something that most of us need. And I think that word that you used, which I also feels says everything to open, it opens our horizons, it opens our eyes, our heads, our hearts. And there's a great quote somewhere along the line about how once you do open or expand your brain by some kind of new experience, 
it never quite resorts back to its original size or dimension. So when you're lucky enough to immerse yourself in that experience, whatever it is that you generally don't have privy to when you're on the couch or in the same old, same old, but when you're out there and exploring and doing things and, and you, you find yourself in the middle of something you know is just a pinch me moment, that thing you then bring forward with you in life. Everything right. that you experience somehow becomes a part of you and a part of your character and expands you and opens you up to different ways and peoples. And so that word open, you know, opens windows, opens doors, whatever it just opens. And I it opens I, your wallet a little too, yeah. <laughs> let's face it. But That's it's the, only, the only downside, right? Is that right. it's a little dent in your bank account, <laughs> but they say you can always make more money, right? Exactly. Well, in your book, you include some of your earliest travels. Give us a sampling. Well, early, early, early would be my earliest memory ever, um, which always kind of surprised me. And then not at all was when I was four. So it wasn't my first encounter with Santa Claus. It wasn't my first bike. It wasn't my first. It was my first trip away. So I had a wonderful childhood, a lovely neighborhood in small town rearing. I had a great family. We didn't travel much, but oh, when we did, it was to the <laughs> Jersey Shore, nothing extravagant, but religiously every August, off we went to the Jersey Shore. And those departures for me were everything. I just thought I was the luckiest kid on the block. You know, the sand, the surf, the seagulls, it was all new to me. It was all totally exotic to me. And I remember being on the beach and thinking, you know, I could explore this desert of sand for a lifetime. And I remember crying when we needed to go home at the end of a week. It was special time with my family, quality time, they call it. You know, I just remember being in the backseat of the station wagon, probably a week ahead of time, packed and ready to go. And those were very, very special. And that's why I always encourage people who say, oh, the kids are too young. They'll never remember. Well, guess what? Yeah. They may not remember details or specifics, but they bring that with them, you know, the sense of striking off to places unknown and in the company of those they love that are very special to them as well. So that was a terrific way for you to begin your career with this wonderful feeling about travel. It's got to have meant a lot to you. And do you think it really focused you on, on doing what you're doing now? I think so, because my family, as I mentioned, um, never, I mean, it was, you know, the 50s, the 60s, one in my world, one didn't travel much at all. It was an extravagance. It was a luxury. And yet when I was 15 and in high school, I had become very, very good friends with a Dominican girl from the Dominican Republic. And her family was back in the islands. <laughs> I didn't quite know where they were or why I needed to go there. But when she invited me home with her, for a week or two during the summer break, I mentioned it in passing to my parents who, you know, my father would work double shifts just to put food on the table. But suddenly here I was implying that maybe a ticket to the Dominican Republic would be a nice Christmas. Oh, yes. And they made it happen. And I tell you, those two weeks in the Caribbean just really kicked the door wide open and there was no turning back out. The rest is history. <laughs> yeah, really. It was a remarkable time. And to be immersed wherever you go and at whatever age, 
more than just the kind of drive through tourism, but to be immersed for a couple of days or in that case, two weeks at a very impressionable age is very, very, very important. I mean, it has you experience another culture in ways that in an organized tour and however you travel certainly gives you a very, very solid idea, but there's nothing like slow travel and spending that time to be with the family, to understand how the day-to-day life is, their customs, their traditions. It really made a deep, deep impression on me. And it opens your mind, as you said, with opening, I think very important for young people to see how the world is. It's not always the way we live. There are many ways to live. And I think the earlier you learn that, the better. Now you have lots of specifics. Uh, Let's just mention, if you mentioned food a little bit before, there are unusual foods when you travel. I call it extreme eating. What's the strangest thing you've ever eaten? My admission and confession in life is that I'm just not an adventurous eater. (laughs) Well, good to know. (laughs) But you don't have, you know, in the beginning, I I felt very guilty about it. Like I I need to taste those things that are still moving on the sticks that you see in night markets. Oh, yeah. The scorpions, right? Yeah. Or all kinds of, I mean, baby starfish, you know, all kinds of fried crickets in Mexico. Good source of protein, they'll convince you. Or guinea pig in Peru and Machu Picchu and Cusco. I remember seeing guinea pig, which was a specialty in all of the best and not so best restaurants. And and look at our cuisine. Do I eat pig's feet? I come from an Italian background. There was a lot of tripe and stuff. Oh, yes. And, you know, I mean, and to this day, they've been resuscitated and, and refined and, and reinvented as specialties. And there's just too much on the menu that I prefer. So you'll have the eggs? <laughs> yeah, I'll have peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> well, I have one. I, I When I was in Hong Kong about mm, 20, 30 years ago, I went to this very fancy restaurant with the host of the restaurant, and I knew he was going to do a special banquet. And I was with another writer, and he was a kind of macho guy, and he was saying how he ate, you know, this and that, and monkey brains and all this kind of thing bragging. And I thought, oh, my. So then they brought this meat over. It was like hot dogs. And I I started to eat it. I said, what is this? And the host said, deer penis. And the guy put his fork down and I said, I'll have yours. I'm so hungry. I remember that to this day. It tasted like chicken. Anyway, it doesn't matter. There are so many things that taste like chicken. I I still can't get past the mental block often. But, you know, I I always use the expression, I'll eat it with my eyes. Ah. It's fascinating to hear about what other people consider quite normal and everyday, which stop us in our tracks. It's all part of the, you know, the culture shock. Exactly. You want to be shocked because otherwise you can stay home and, you know, on your couch. I mean, you want to see the abnormal or the unusual or what removes everything from what we consider the same old, same old. So I like to hear about it and I like to see other people dabbling. I just would prefer not to do it myself. Smart woman in many ways. Okay. Well, you have many details in the book. One I liked especially is a listing of classic films that are really great for armchair travelers because in the 50s and 60s, movies were suddenly set on location with the glorious color 
in all these exotic places. And this is when, as you mentioned, people didn't travel the world. And I remember how exciting it was to see this. I remember movies with Audrey Hepburn, like Roman Holiday, and Two for the Road, and Charade, and set in Paris. It's summertime, Catherine Hepburn in Venice, and all of that. Is there a film that you think is especially evocative that you love and, and, and maybe watch more than once? The Thomas Crown Affair. Uh, but like you said, when there are just dozens that like download in my mind as you're you're mentioning it. And they were at that point, because in the 60s and 70s, you know, I was still a kid and not nurturing internally, I guess, this desire to go out and explore. But at the moment, being locked into grade school, high school, and not really understanding that this possibility of seeing the world was my reality or my future. But I was really drawn to those movies because visually you were seeing a hint of what these places that were remote and far flung on the other side of the globe actually looked like. Maybe it was a romanticized or a Hollywood interpretation, but a lot more than what I was experiencing on Main Street in my hometown. So there are a lot that actually got me up and out. And I remember one of them being... Ryan's daughter, yeah. In Ireland? Yes, in the 70s. And I I remember the opening scene of the Cliffs of Mower, and it really had me think that I've never been to Ireland. I've heard about it. If it's this stunningly beautiful, I really need to get myself there. Can you hear the siren? Yes, you're somewhere in the world. (laughs) I think New York. Midtown Manhattan. I do recall that that was one of the earliest visuals because it was video. It was film. It wasn't just one dimensional commercial or travel poster, but it really drew me in. And I got caught up in this small town in another country that I knew not at all, but I understood in that. In fact, it wasn't that many years later when I went to Ireland and I made a beeline for the Dingle Peninsula where it was filmed and the people were still talking about it. And um, earlier prior to that, they had filmed The Quiet Man, with Maureen O'Hara. Yes, but beautiful red hair, Maureen O'Hara and John Wayne. And John Wayne. And generations later, and the the local people are still talking about how Hollywood came to town and captured this really stunningly beautiful corner of Ireland. I used to love looking at those films. That was my dream to go to some of these places. An escape. It was an escape, escape, right? Absolutely. Now, you give lots of travel hacks or travel tips. A couple of your favorites, maybe? Mine, I always feel are so ho-hum and so, well, everybody knows this, but in fact, I hear when people say, oh, great idea. I never thought of that. So now everybody has iPhones and now everybody brings them with them as we should Google Maps and, you know, that kind of thing. And of course, the camera feature means that we suddenly have a lens at our disposal 24-7 to capture those moments that are spontaneous and otherwise fleeting. So I always take a photo of everything and keep it on my phone, my passport, my credit cards. But I also make printouts in the event that I lose my phone. And I also make triplicates because one of those sets of photos stays with somebody back home. So that if I lose my bag or my pocketbook or my wallet or my credit cards or my passport, God forbid, knock on wood, I never have, then somebody at home is a call away unless you've lost your phone, but there's always the (laughs) possibility of getting in contact with somebody back home who can do all that work for you and call everything in and cancel it. 
And at least there's that backup. You need a plan. You need a plan B should anything happen. And also cash. There are a lot of destinations where credit cards and ATMs are not as reliably found as we think or we hope. And so I always bring cash with me. And depending upon the location, maybe if it's Africa or developing nation, you need more cash than otherwise. For example, traveling in Europe, it's quite easy to come by an ATM. But you don't want to carry all that cash with you. So I divide it into threes in case one of these is stolen. And one I keep on me, whether in a sock or in my bra. Thank you to my grandmother who always (laughs) carry cash in your bra. And one third I keep in my bag, my pocketbook, my over the shoulder. Always give my total attention to at all times. I'm very aware and very sensitive to keeping an eye on my valuables in my pocketbook and one in my suitcase, which is locked and back in the hotel room. And I know that each of those three places is questionable and can always be at danger for something being stolen or lost, but at least it's not all in one place. Great idea. And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera, et cetera. Your book is filled (laughs) with wonderful tips, wonderful photos as well. And Many of the photos are coupled with travel quotes. Do you have a favorite of all those beautiful quotes that that you have in your book? That's tough because, first of all, finding the photos that we wanted to include was almost as impossible as pairing them with the quotes. In each of those two things, I had gone through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds to pair them down to just a few dozen quotes and a few, well, actually many, many photographs. And then to find the right juxtaposition or the right pairing of photo with quote. And one of the earlier quotes I have in the book is by Rumi, who has become quite popular these days, a 13th century Persian poet whose words and pearls of wisdoms have proven to be timeless over the centuries. But he said something that has been translated as this, it's your road and yours alone. Others may walk it with you, but no one can walk it for you. And I can translate this in myriad different ways, but I leave it to the reader because I think it drives home this idea that it's our lives are so special and they're ours. You know, it is the gift Mm -hmm. to us of our life. And how we live it and how we create our lives to be is entirely up to us. We have all of these opportunities and options and choices thrown across our paths, but it's really up to us how we interpret them, those we choose to take up and live them as part of our lives or ignore and bypass and you know walk around. But it's our lives. And I think that Rumi touched on that very beautifully. It's a beautiful and philosophy. Not all of these quotes are from ancient luminaries of centuries past, but often present day personalities like Willie Nelson. And I also quote Beverly Sills, who famously said, but it's just something that we all know to be true. And that is that there are no shortcuts to any place that's worth going to. And whether that's your career or family decisions or something that's burdening you in your life that may be very personal or just a place, a a destination that you've been wanting to go to all of your life, but, you know, it's too hard to get to, it's too far, it's too expensive. I don't, you know, I mean, we always have those excuses, but as Rumi said, 
it's your life. And if you want to walk it for yourself, you need to be there in the three dimensional. You can't see the documentaries, those classic films that we were talking about are all fine and wonderful, but you need to be there to experience it. And it may not be easy, but it's just the million dollar experience that yeah. you take home with you. It's prioritizing. Oh, is it? Prioritize. Yeah. And there's another quota that's similar that I liked very much. It's a little less formal, perhaps. It's by Edward Redeker Henderson. Whoever created the world went to a lot of trouble. It would be downright rude not to go out and see as much of it as possible. I love that quote. Yeah, I do too. And I especially <laughs> love it because it was a friend of mine. He was a very, very, very prolific and well-known in his niche travel writer and was so sensitive and was so brilliant in his writing. I was so honored to be his friend. When I met him, he had been diagnosed with three or four different terminal illnesses that he never spoke about. And he really was a road warrior. He was out there and doing as much and seeing as much. And he was always going someplace remarkably exotic and then coming home and writing. I was so happy to be his friend. And I saw this quote and I knew that as an homage to him, and how much he taught me. And it is kind of, you know, tongue in cheek. And it's it's very colloquial. It's very contemporary. It has a different sensibility to it in, compared to Rumi. But it's true. Whoever you believe in who has created this wondrous world that surrounds us, whoever, whatever your religion is or your philosophy is, it, it almost doesn't matter. It's the world is there. It's for us to see. And we really owe it to ourselves to see as much as we can. And there's no time like today, because coming out of this pandemic, we've had ample time to sit back and think about things and understand that if we want to see the world, you can postpone no pleasure. You can't put things off. You can't live with this bet that, oh, when I finally get around to it, I'm going to see, you know, the pyramids or these places you just assume are going to be there. And maybe they will be but will your circumstances allow you to go and see them? So I, I encourage people, especially now that we can travel again, to all of those things you've ever wanted to see, you know, to, to move them up to the tippity top of your wish list and make them happen sooner rather than later. Beautiful thought. Well, the name of the podcast is Places I Remember. So Patricia, could you give us one favorite story from your book, Why We Travel? As I move along in my decades... <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice way to put it. <laughs> You're behind me. <laughs> oh, not by much, Leah. I, you know, I always celebrate my birthday, but you don't need a special occasion, do you? I think any occasion, you know, like, oh, okay, it's like Wednesday and it's June and I'm still ambulatory. So that's a special occasion. But for my birthday, I always do make it a point to give myself the gift of travel. And on my big birthdays, on my 50th, which already was almost 20 years ago, I decided it was time to see Machu Picchu because it's not an easy trip. No. Have you been there? Yes, I've been there. And you're right. It is not an easy trip. No, but totally doable. And if you do your homework and you make all the arrangements, totally doable. And oh, is it worth every effort in the book and every penny? But I do remember not having done quite enough research. I knew that Cusco up in the Andes, which is your launch, your, your starting point to at 11,000 feet, right. <laughs> then take that zigzag train down to Machu Picchu, which is a mere 7,000 feet. 
But I remember thinking, oh, I've been to Denver. I've got this altitude thing. I'm going to be just fine. But guess what? I wasn't. I didn't bring altitude pills, sickness pills with me, which are very easy to come by. You just call your doctor and a prescription and there you go. But um, I was in the lobby of my very nice hotel in Cusco with an oxygen tank and a mask, thanks to the very um, sympathetic manager of the hotel. And I met this lovely, lovely woman who came sauntering over. I guess she felt, you know, it was a, a feeling pity or, you know, compassion for me. I don't know. It turns out she was American. She was one of the nicest. I mean, imagine it's 20 years later and I still remember it like it was yesterday. She was totally fine. No problem at all with the altitude. She was there celebrating her 90th birthday. It was her first passport. It was her first stamp. It was her 70th wedding anniversary. Her husband was upstairs resting because he too was having a problem with the altitude. And she went off into this monologue because I had an oxygen mask. (laughs) She told me about how she'd always just wanted to travel. She dropped out of school when she was 12. She raised five children African-American said she was proud to be a washerwoman for all of those years. She put her kids through high school, college, graduate school. And for her 90th, they got together and sent her any place in the world that she wanted to go. And they had given her a book and it was called 1000 Places to See. Oh, and she a- could <laughs> she could pick out any place she wanted. And I guess they were thinking, oh, you know, like, Boca or Las Vegas, (laughs) but no, she wanted to go to Machu Picchu. And she said to me these two things, and they're pearls for me, and I will forever remember them. And she said, you know, dear, your knees have expiration dates. And she said, you have to do the difficult places first. So I hope she's still traveling. That's a long time ago, probably. What an inspiration. I know. I I don't know where she is now, but I see her and exploring the world. (laughs) Beautiful story. Well, thank you, Patricia Schultz, for sharing excerpts from your new book. The links are in our show notes. Why We Travel would make a perfect gift for any travel lover. I'll end with an excerpt from Patricia's book. And I think it sums up what we're saying. I'm going to read it. Wherever you go, however you travel, allow it to enrich you, connect you to others, challenge your preconceptions, and open your head and heart. If you do, you'll understand why we travel and why we should never stop. It's an investment in ourselves and makes us better people. When we get home, home is still the same, but we have changed, and that changes everything. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much as well. We're kindred spirits. I know that. Thank you. Have a good. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to our award-winning podcast. We've recorded over 100 episodes of Places I Remember. So follow us on any podcast app. And new monthly episodes are also on YouTube with gorgeous video. My book, Places I Remember, is available in print and Kindle, and I read the audio version. Follow my travel writing at Forbes.com. Contact me at the links in the show notes or on my website, PlacesIRememberLealane.com, and keep making your own travel memories.